Everyone faces challenges every single day. Some are chosen and bring us joy. Some are given to us and bring struggle or pain. Whether the diagnosis of an illness, the news of a friend's death, the loss of a job, or a bike accident, we may be asked to step up to face issues that demand courage and perseverance. Hurt is just one of the many aspects of full lives. Each week on this show, ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope, Dr. Joanne Dahl helps us understand how we can use acceptance and commitment therapy to learn to accept what we cannot change and move forward into a valued life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joanne Dahl. Welcome to ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. Today we're going to continue our series about ACT for different health issues. And remember that ACT has three components opening up to the reality of the moment, becoming aware of the differences between actual reality felt by our five senses in contrast to what your mind is telling you about this reality, and third is taking steps in your valid directions in the reality you find yourself in. We're going to talk about something today that concerns us all. And that's AIDS and HIV stigma and discrimination. AIDS and stigma and discrimination exists worldwide, although it manifests itself differently across countries and communities, religious groups, and individuals. Now, this type of discrimination occurs alongside other forms of stigma and discrimination, like racism, uh, stigma based on physical appearance, homophobia. And the stigma is that stigma not only makes it more difficult for people to try to come in terms with HIV and manage their illness on a personal level, but it also interferes with the attempts to fight AIDS and, and HIV ep- ep- epidemic as a whole. So on a national level, the stigma associated with HIV can defer governments from taking fast, effective action. The United Nations Secretary General Bond Ban Ki-moon says that stigma remains the single most important barrier to public action. It is the main reason why too many people are afraid to see a doctor to determine whether they have a disease or to seek treatment. It helps make AIDS the silent killer because people fear the social disgrace of speaking about it or taking available precautions. He says that stigma is the chief reason why the AIDS AIDS epidemic continues to devastate societies around the world. And today you're going to get a chance to talk to an expert, Dr. Matthew Shinta. He is a clinical psychologist, a board-certified clinical health psychology. Matt works in private practice in San Francisco with a high concentration of HIV-positive gay men ranging from the early 20s to the late 60s. Uh, Matt has also supervised the UCSF Aliens Health Project and received an institutional grant funded by an ACT-CFT group for HIV-related stigma. Welcome, Matt. Hello. Thank you. Now, Matt, you're in San Francisco. It's a long ways from Sweden. It's a, <laughs> a, a, a chilly but uh, clear blue morning here in San Francisco. Is it? It's a black, rainy, dark night here in in <laughs> Sweden. <laughs> Matt, I'm I'm 
interested. I'm not ready. Your listeners are interested in what what got you interested in in uh, the subject of HIV and AIDS. Well, it it really came about through uh, two different directions that uh, didn't initially feel connected. the The first was um, in the '90s getting involved in my college LGBT community, I was seeing the impact that stigma and shame had generally, uh, specifically with with gay-identified men who were really struggling with religious up, uh, upbringings and backgrounds. As I, as I moved into health psych, I started my graduate schooling in child psychology. As I started dabbling in health psychology later on, I realized, you know, there's something about HIV that, that really... And and I was coming from the direction of seeing gay stigma, but I think this applies to other stigmas. Mm-hmm. There's something about HIV that really magnifies and exacerbates it. Um, I've worked with very few gay men who who say, you know, this is how I feel about my HIV, and this is how I worry people will see me, mm-hmm. without it being bound up really tightly with, um, you know, and and these are the ideas about what it means to be a minority in the world that has led to this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, so this is something you saw at, the, at, at college. Um, so it's it's a combination of uh, stigmatization and um, and then how does that how did that affect people psychologically? Well, it's I I think when I think of um, when I think of stigma, and maybe this is my I'm I'm also very influenced by FAP, so perhaps this is my FAPI lens. <laughs> But uh, when when I think of stigma, I really think of the interpersonal boundaries that we put up between ourselves and others as one of the main barriers. Mm-hmm. That um, the more, and you see this when you look at Goffman's classic conceptualizations of shame, the more we view ourselves as fundamentally flawed, the less we want to show up it. Um, so what I would see socially is relationships not working as well people withdrawing from intimate contact. And then there's this level as well of of um, not seeing yourself as worthy mm-hmm. of successes, of following your values or your passions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've known so many individuals who have uh, withdrawn from uh, withdrawn from graduate programs, sort of dropped out of life in whatever trajectory they really valued, not because it was medically necessary, though, decades ago that may have been the case but rather because they don't feel like someone like them belongs in the healthcare professions or they fear that other people will have that idea mm-hmm. so let me ask you uh, Matthew I'd some, you know when I often when I look at behavior analysis I it feels like that uh, we all carry that story there's some we are flawed mm-hmm. there, there's something wrong with me but in the case of case of HIV or AIDS, um, people would ad- could, could actually attribute they have, would have a real reason why they're mm-hmm. flawed. So it would sort of yeah. cem- cement that idea. Definitely, there's there's something about it that um, that that feels inarguable. And this is really this is what grabs me as as unique about ACT as opposed to um, earlier in my in, in my training starting with CBT where there's something about this where you don't or or where I don't want to dive into cognitive disputation mm-hmm. because because you you may have uh you may have had your health 
and the health of your friends and those you love affected. Uh, you may have had multiple encounters with other individuals that treat you as pathologized. Um, I've, I've lost count of, uh, of individuals I've met, of men I've met where, um, even within the past few years where they have family members that still ask them to use paper plates when they visit or things mm. like that. So that, um, because of, because of a fear of the virus. So, so part of, part of what I like about, uh, uh, about ACT is that it's a way to begin to work with, with taking this as part of it, that just like a piece or a, a pawn on a chessboard, the fact that you're carrying the virus with you does not mean that that defines everything about you. Right, exactly. I, ha I have a picture actually from uh, working in Sierra Leone with HIV, where we had um, we had the, um, a, it was had HIV sticker um, uh, mm -hmm. on their on their dress, and we were dancing. Uh, and singing <laughs> HIV, and 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 the the they were saying, you know, I'm so much more than HIV. HIV that HIV does not define me. There's there's an ad campaign in the U.S. that's really great. That it usually has we with a a greater than sign, mm -hmm. uh, and 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 just this uh, this discourse of greater than HIV that I really love because it feels so consistent with that message. Uh, uh, there's there's some power to both labeling one's status um, that that at the same time seems to function to identify it as you know this is one detail. Uh, when I led this ACT CFT group, uh, I, one of one of the participants gave myself and uh, and my co-therapist uh, T-shirts for for a local sporting group that that advertised that they were positive on the t-shirt and I thought that was just really beautiful. Oh, that's I like that. <laughs> so Matthew, tell us um so how does ACT approach HIV and stigmatization? So when I think of the ACT model, when I think of uh this this acceptance piece and uh as as well as the the commitment to values, um the parts that the parts that really stand out for me with with HIV are are first when we talk about the right side of the hexaflex about values and committed action. Um, I was mentioning earlier that so often what I hear and and I even hear similar stories with quite young men um, that and this is in San Francisco where treatment is is um, uh, there are a number of points to access treatment, but where men have um, withdrawn from withdrawn from whatever their life trajectory was. So I really view um, values, this values piece of reconnecting with what do you want your life to mean and, um, and, and what do you want it to stand for as one of the most powerful places to begin. And then, and then looking at the barriers that come up to committed action. Mm -hmm. a, lot of, a lot of the fusion uh, that I see on sort of, to move to the left side of the hexaflex, a lot of the fusion that I see and a lot of the avoidance involves ideas about the self being toxic. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's a word with a lot of valence. So for example, um, uh, not, not always, but I've, I've used that with clients much like the milk, milk, milk exercise mm -hmm. of, of uh, toxic and really seeing oneself as, as poisonous to mm -hmm. others that you love uh, is is even more powerful than 
than uh, HIV, mm-hmm. uh, just just in terms of words that there's fusion with. Mm-hmm. Um, many men, particularly in their 40s and above that I've worked with, uh, they saw lovers, they saw all of their closest friends uh, die, and mm-hmm. there's not a clear reason for why they did and they didn't. So, so on the one hand, there's this really... Uh, this really tight training toward this idea that I'm carrying something that that does cause pain, that does cause death. Um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and then there's not a clear sense of 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 how that translates into into a place where one could be accepting or kind mm-hmm. for where one is. it It feels so arbitrary, mm-hmm. particularly with the older men I work with of of who of who's thriving and who's living and who's not. Mm-hmm. And and so all of this blends into when we're looking at the present moment and we're looking at flexible perspective taking, mm-hmm. this difference between that content list of I have HIV, I may have a shortened lifespan, um, I, I pose a threat to mm-hmm. those I love, many of the ideas that... And... and um, and and many of the ideas I hear, I'm 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 trying to to mute it because I feel like it can be very shocking outside of the HIV world uh, if you haven't heard it before. Uh, because many of the many of the thoughts I hear and you know, doctors who work with HIV only do so because of pity, mm-hmm. um, or they do so because they couldn't get into a better specialty or a better area. And they're ashamed of working in HIV. That's mm-hmm. there's actually a subsection that correlates most highly with the total measure for um, a sales scale of uh, the researcher's last name of sales uh, scale of HIV stigma, mm-hmm. where the items that correlate most highly with the total measure all involve shaming beliefs around medical staff. Wow. So there's, so there's so much, or, or that that medical staff are find it distasteful to work with, with individuals with HIV. So so there's so much on that content list, mm-hmm. and, um, and and it really takes a lot of work with, with with that perspective taking piece. I think, of. Not only. Not only working toward you know where have you at different times in your life been and how you're seeing yourself, but but also really working to to separate out how are others interacting with you in your day um, versus the the thoughts that are so sticky mm-hmm. about about what you believe they really feel about you. And can you move into vulnerable places where you can where you can really come in contact with that? Matt, let me just ask you, um, when I was in Africa working with HIV, I, it's, I, in some way I could think that it, it's sort of a metaphor of life that if, or if I'm thinking of the people who, who have AIDS and, and um, uh, maybe actually don't have much long to live, um, mm-hmm. they, they seem to be very aware of their values. I mean, could it be the opposite yeah. too that that um, uh, but that this illness could help you to become more aware of what's important to you? I, you know, I I think it can go both ways, and it depends so much on context, because I have seen I, I have worked with men where um, and women where there's something about uh, the the proximity and that thinking about my own mortality and. 
And there's something very poignant about the tombstone exercise mm-hmm. and act mm-hmm. when someone has has really thought about that for for a partner who's who's now deceased. On the other hand, I've also worked with individuals where where they've experienced so much stigma or there's so much fear of stigma. Uh, when I was working in, um, I, I was in an HIV uh, behavioral medicine focused postdoc in Los Angeles mm-hmm. for a year, and some of the greatest self stigma I saw was among uh, individuals who tested positive in prison, mm-hmm. where they didn't necessarily fit a standard demographic, um, and and these were also these were also the men that in order to avoid and and I saw this multiple times over, uh, where in order to avoid detection, in order to avoid disclosing, they would begin a regimen and then stop and then begin again in such a pattern that um, that that I I'd met individuals that had burned through all possible uh, resistance profiles within just a couple years mm-hmm. and were and were then facing death. And so I, I, I think that's actually where some of the, some of this work could come into play as well, where um, stigma can get in the way of that. There, there's something powerful about the context of facing death, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think that sort of existential struggle is, is, is automatic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think there are ways, particularly um, in the West, where and, and perhaps it pulls for this more. In uh, in a place like California, where you feel like there will always be access to healthcare, mm-hmm. uh, where where it facilitates that avoidance of struggle mm-hmm. when it's when it feels too dark mm-hmm. or too painful. Mm-hmm. Matthew, I would love to hear how you actually work. Um, you mm-hmm. you can hear that you're a very empathetic, compassionate therapist. Um, I, I would love to hear how how. If you, if you have an exercise for us that we could do. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to. Um, there's an exercise that I like to do that I feel like incorporates both compassion and uh, and some flexible perspective taking uh, that I call a hand-on-heart exercise. Uh, just to give credit where credit's due, I adapted this from uh, a training I did um from an exercise led by Valerie Keel, mm-hmm. who tells me in turn that she'd adapted this from a Kristen Neff meditation. Mm-hmm. So, um, so what I'd like you to do, and well, I'll, I can talk after about how I cater this to, to clients. Okay. But if you'd like to join me, I'd like to invite you to, to close your eyes or lower your gaze. And just to begin by, by rubbing the palms of your hands together until they're warm. Mm-hmm. This may take a moment longer in Sweden than in California. <laughs> and, and I'd like you to place your dominant hand over the center of your chest. And I'd like you to bring to mind a time in the past two weeks that you felt particularly connected with someone in your life. This could be a spouse or a child or a healthcare provider or a therapist. Bringing this person's face in that moment as vividly to mind as you can. Perhaps even imagining details around the eyes. What emotion you saw in their face. 
and really noticing the felt sensations in the body. What did you feel around your heart? Feeling disconnected. And what I'd invite you to do next, as you're looking into these eyes, and as you're feeling this connection, is to imagine that a part of you, a part of your awareness, could slide behind their eyes. Could you imagine looking at yourself in this moment, seeing yourself as someone that others want to connect with, as a person of value, as a person who's loved, Can you imagine that he or she has the same sensation around their heart looking at you in moments like this? And then letting that fall away, sliding back behind your own eyes. And just noticing if you were able to take any of that with you, any of that sense of worth, that sense of value and lovability. And when you're ready, opening your eyes. Oh, wow, that was a beautiful exercise, Matt. I, I thought about my little granddaughter. <laughs> <laughs> I always think about my partner. <laughs> <laughs> no, that I would love that. Yeah, we work. Um, uh, we we struggle every day with the you know concepts of self compassion and and uh, how to do that. That's a wonderful exercise. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Matt, do you have an example of um, a patient that you've worked with and uh, how it went for them? You know, one of the one of the first patients I worked with with HIV years back uh, that often comes to mind uh, really captures what I was talking about before about the different types of stigma that that overlay. Um, this is someone who, whether it was sitting in the waiting room at the patient clinic or interacting socially, uh, was was really um, was really terrified about being perceived as gay. And, and he was a gay man. Um, and this was so wrapped up with, you know, part of the risk of disclosing or having others find out about his HIV status was because he was gay. And, um, and, and at the same time, he had this curiosity. He'd come out relatively late in life and, um, and and wasn't uh, and 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 so he didn't feel like he had a lot of information about the gay community. Um, I'm going to admit that this was probably the most deceptive homework I ever gave to a client. Um, <laughs> though, though this would not work anymore. Um, I had recommended a large retail chain uh, bookstore mm-hmm. in the city that I was working in uh, to go and and perhaps just stand. And we'd done, um, there'd been some specific phobia around 
uh, germs in one of the waiting rooms before. So we'd done we'd done some exposure work before. Um, and so we talked a little about this idea and this idea of standing in front, just just standing in front for a moment of the gay and lesbian section in the bookstore. Um, most of the large chain bookstores and uh, have have now closed in the U.S. So you might not be able to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. But um, what I was aware of, though, I'm a bit of a bibliophile, is that. Um, the the only large chain bookstore in the region had a gay and lesbian section that was the only shelf of books that was exposed to the cafe area mm-hmm. and this big open area and um, and so the next week rolls around and I'm excited to hear what happened what what came of my deception um, and uh, and he didn't come and the next week came. And he came and he said, you know, I have to tell you, I missed last week because um, because I saw the section and I knew what I'd have to do. And I didn't want to talk about it last week. But um, but he went and he actually went a number of times and finally approached this section. And um, and he as, as he became lost browsing titles and as people would make small talk walking by about different titles uh this this was really a turning point in the in the treatment in terms of uh shortly after this he joined one of the one of the peer support groups in the area that allowed him to interact with other with with other hiv positive men Mm -hmm. for one for one of the first times um this this also allowed him to hear the experience of other men who um, it's this was I've I've mostly lived in a variety of rural and midwestern states in the U.S. so mm-hmm. so this was not an area with a high concentration of gay men either and so he was also able to hear stories and learn that there was something about this story there's something about exceptionalism mm-hmm. that I think really feeds shame mm-hmm. and. And so he was also able to um, to meet other men who had stories like his, mm-hmm. and to see ways that um, things that, that felt very exception, exceptional and therefore more shaming mm-hmm. uh, really seemed to really seemed to fade. Mm-hmm. And um, and and the last I heard, he um, he was living much more openly. He'd mm-hmm. started to cultivate a social network before we stopped working together, mm-hmm. which that's, um, you know, that, that lack of, of social others and loneliness is, is such a, mm-hmm. is, is, is such a risk to well being. Um, uh, I know for all of us, but especially with HIV and AIDS. Now, what a wonderful example, Matt. So by, by having him stand there in, in front of the, in this, uh, the gay, uh, section, he, 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 and, and meeting other people, he actually uh, practiced opening up and um, letting himself feel that discomfort while also being aware that other people, you know, were looking at him. And that's, yeah. a, that's a wonderful, just everyday thing that to practice and to also feel that, that my my feelings of shame are I, I share with other people, with maybe have different sources, but that it, that's something yeah. that human beings share. And just being seen. I think that's 
I think that's what draws me to that exercise too. There's just something about being willing to be seen Mm -hmm. that I think opens the gates for, for self kindness. Yes. Mm. I would love to talk to you more about self kindness. uh, We don't have time that we've come to the end of the program, but I hope that we can invite you back again and we can, I I think you're a wonderful um, representative of of just this self compassion, uh, doing self compassion in therapy. Thank you. And um, <laughs> go ahead. And I've, and I've loved being on. Thank you. Do you have, um, Matt, before we end, do you have any advice to our listeners who, who might themselves um, uh, have HIV or AIDS or have someone in their family or just generally feel um, that they're being discriminated against or have stigma? I think the... I think the biggest advice I could have is that value of of being seen. Mm. If I could encourage if I could encourage someone who feels isolated and has HIV to open up to someone that they know cares about them mm-hmm. and loves them. Mm-hmm. And and what and 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 if you don't feel you have someone like that in your life to consider turning to the healthcare providers or, or the providers you are in contact with because they also have a deep love for the work and care for you. Mm. Thank you so much for being on our program today, Matthew. Thank you. You've been listening to Dr. Matthew Shinta. He's a clinical psychologist. He's a board certified in clinical health psychology. Matthew has a private practice in San Francisco with a high concentration of HIV positive gay men in all of all ages. Uh, Matthew's also worked on the US UCSF Alien Alliance Health Project and um, groups use for groups with HIV-related stigma. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Joanne, please see her website at joannedahl.com or click on the host website button in front of you on the webtalkradio.net page. You may also see her books, The Art of Science of Valuing in Psychotherapy, Living Beyond Pain, Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy to Ease Chronic Pain, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy for Chronic Pain, Values in Action, and Epilepsy, a Behavior Medicine Approach to Assessment and Treatment in Children. All of these are found easily by clicking the cover or going to Amazon.com. We hope you'll join us again soon for another episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope.